Thursday, February 9th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Jason Moser and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Uncle Joe Maker. Gentlemen, good to see you. Howdy. Uh, we've got a trio of earnings to talk about, but I wanted to give a quick update. Last week, uh, we dedicated an entire Market Foolery to the Stock Act, which was the bill that was uh, moving through the United States Senate to stop. Uh, well, stock stands for stop trading on congressional <laughs> knowledge. Uh, it passed overwhelmingly in the Senate uh, earlier today. It passed overwhelmingly in the House of Representatives, 417 to 2. Um, uh, John Campbell, a congressman from California, and Rob Woodall, a congressman from Georgia, the two dis- dissenting folks. I'm not sure. I didn't there watch. I wasn't, representing. I wasn't glued to C-SPAN. I, I don't know their rationale for voting for something that... They're for insider trading. Yeah, that's, we, we, we can, uh, until we hear otherwise, we're just going to assume that. something, but yeah. All right. We've got uh, Groupon earnings, Visa earnings, but we will start with Whole Foods. Shares of Whole Foods up today on its latest quarter. Um, the company also raised guidance for the full year. Jason, you follow the company. What'd you make of the quarter? Yeah, I, you know, wow. They released yesterday uh, after market close, and it was just another great quarter for Whole Foods. I mean, this company's firing on all cylinders. Thirteen uh, percent sales growth. It led to comps, uh, same store sales of eight point seven percent, and that represented the eighth consecutive quarter this company's had same store sales of seven point eight percent or better. And when you work in, you that's know, a huge yeah, number. It really is. And when you work in something like a restaurant or retail or something like, like that, where same store sales is so critical a metric, that's really phenomenal. And when you consider, you know, the rather tough economic climate we've been going through lately, sure. and Whole Foods' uh, nickname of Whole Paycheck that some people give it, I mean, I think it's even more impressive that they've been able to really pull this off. And so, uh, you know, I mean, they, they've seen, I think, modest food cost inflation over the past few quarters. In this past quarter, it sort of moderated, sort of level off for them, so they were able to control their expenses a little bit better. That led them to guide for higher operating margins going mm-hmm. forward, which is going to make them, you know, more profitable. And, and they're, a, they're a pretty thin margin business anyway, so that's, that's a pretty big deal. Joe, anything stand out to you with Whole Foods? Yeah, I'm not surprised. I was in there last <laughs> night, and I bought some sea bass for 21 bucks a pound, okay? <laughs> so I'm pretty confident they're doing well. It's good stuff. Yeah, kidding aside, it really was just a killer quarter. Eight straight one with rising comps. Great execution. It's really impressive. They've got a really loyal following, too. I think you know this was really uh, exemplified in the call where they spoke about a, a store that they opened in Folsom, or Folsom California mm-hmm. uh, over the quarter where they had about 1,000 people outside waiting for the opening of the store and even had people camping out the night before. And this was an area that was apparently hit relatively hard from foreclosure crisis and everything. So, I mean, that's, that's not insignificant. You know, when you have that many people out there for a grocery store, so yeah. it's a pretty loyal following. Yeah, and I think there's still room in terms of expanding the footprint. I mean, obviously, you can't throw up too many of these stores, but if you use D.C., for example, and you go around to the specific locations in town here, they will tell you they are too busy. Like, literally, the stores can't handle the amount of traffic. I mean, obviously, they can handle it, but they're not designed for the amount going through there. And they could put more in the city and happily fill that business up. Yeah, to put that into perspective, okay, the the company, management has said time and time again, their goal, uh, they, they target the, the market in the U.S. for about 1,000 stores. Right now, they're standing at just over about 300 in, in the United States, which, I mean, if if 1,000 is optimistic, let's let's say it's 800, you know, that still, I think, offers a really long road of growth ahead. And, you know, getting into the stock even today, you're looking at a really, I think, a, a great long-term holding. What is the 
key metric that investors should uh, focus on? Is it is it the comps? Is it um, something to do with increasing their margins? I, I would say, yeah, two in this case, because, you know, same-source sales or comps is always want to pay attention to. And because of, uh, of such thin margins to begin with, paying attention to their operating margin, understanding how expenses are affecting them yep. is important. Uh, so, you know, I think those are the two metrics. If you can pay attention to going forward, that's going to really help dictate uh, how this company is going to perform as an investment. There's obviously a lot of competition when you look at groceries. Whole Foods is obviously uh, more high-end. Um, witness Joe shelling out 21 bucks a pound for the sea bass. You know, I don't regret it, though. It was so <laughs> buttery good. What about the cherries? I mean, Joe, the cherries, right? I, you don't want to know. <laughs> um, but when you look at um, you know the competitive landscape with you know, Safeway and Kroger's, um, even a company like Super Value, um, but you've also got a private company out there in Trader Joe's. Uh, you mentioned the management team, Jason. If John Mackey can wave a magic wand and just sort of make one of those competitors disappear, is he going with one of the larger ones, or is it something more like Trader Joe's? I think he would be looking at either Trader Joe's or something like Harris Teeter. Now, Harris Teeter is a member of Ruddock Corporation, which is publicly traded. And Harris Teeter has a little bit of a smaller store count. Uh, Trader Joe's is relatively similar. I think they're pretty close to the same U.S. presence. But I I look at uh, Trader Joe's and Harris Teeter as two of the the real sort of competitors that that Whole Foods faces, you know, Safeway, Kroger, things like that, are they're they're just not quite the same market. Yep. I don't think so. I I think that uh, Trader Joe's and, and uh, Harris Teeter. You agree with that, Joe? Yeah, I agree. I mean, Trader Joe's is really just a phenomenal competitor on a sales per square foot basis, which is another great way to look at retailers. Uh, they own the crap out of virtually everyone <laughs> in the space, and they're private, so you don't know exactly how much. But it's pretty commonly known that they get higher square sales per square foot than Whole Foods and their other, you know, major rivals. And, you know, another thing with those locations, Trader Joe's, is they're small footprints. So you can really stick those things in pretty small spaces, unlike a Whole Foods that requires a lot of square footage. So still, you know, leads to a lot of potential for urban growth. Just to wrap up on Whole Foods, uh, shares are now at an all-time high. Joe, you're a value guy. What's the valuation look like to you? Well, I mean, you know, as the resident value guy, it's selling for 42 times earnings. That's pretty rich to me. I, I personally couldn't get behind that, but I do think it's a fantastic operator that, you know, will continue to execute. And I think the big challenge will just be living up to the valuation that's on the stock, not its ability to operate and execute. Joe's exactly right. It is richly priced. However, I can make it look a little bit more appetizing if you base it on forward estimates. And uh, they just raised guidance for, for the coming year. And so based on forward estimates, the stock trades for about 34, 35 times uh, forward earnings, which, again, fairly yeah, I mean, rich. The S&P is selling for like 12 <laughs> times forward Fairly earnings. rich. But I think you know Whole Foods is one of those companies that's always going to demand a premium. You know you're buying into a pretty excellent company. Yep. Uh, so it, it historically demands a premium. I'd agree with that. Shares of Groupon down 15% earlier today on its latest earnings. Uh, fourth quarter revenue nearly tripled. What What is the problem here, Joe? Well, the big issue is they turned in a small loss, whereas the analysts had been expecting a small gain. And you would normally think a triple in revenue is enough to please people, but it was their first quarter reporting as a public company. This is the last time that you want to deliver a surprise. Like, this should be yeah. a time where you deliver exactly what the street was expecting and not necessarily, let me turn that around. You should have been communicating enough with Wall Street and investors. They should know what you're going to report because it's an important first quarter. You want to get off on the right step. And, you know, they certainly didn't do that here. Another thing is their 
cutting back on marketing, which is a pretty unusual move for a business that obviously has been working, you mm-hmm. know, revenues up 200%, but cutting back on marketing when you're such a young company, especially in such a competitive environment with your living socials and your Google offers out there is counterintuitive. Do you think this is a bad sign for the daily deals business in general, or is this just specific to Groupon? Well, I think this was just an execution screw up on their part for not okay. communicating better. But I do think that you know when you put some of these pieces together, we just heard from Amazon that basically Living Social is hemorrhaging cash, uh, just losing huge millions of hundreds of millions a year, or at least over this past year. And when you look at that and Google on their last call, you know they could have talked about a lot of things. Didn't spend a lot of time talking about Google offers. Yeah. And they play it, you know, close to the vest all the time anyway, but they were pretty quiet about that. And I think we're just going to see that this really will be kind of one of those classic fads where everyone dives in. There are a bunch of competitors and most of them wash out. Jason, obviously Google and Amazon have other businesses. You know, they don't need to depend on the daily deal stuff. Same thing with Facebook. Um, but, uh, But Groupon, that's their business. Uh, so <laughs> it is. So that, you know, it's not like they can rely on their all the revenue that they're generating from search or you know, yeah. or or from their marketplace. Um, five years from now, is it going to be a standalone company, or is Groupon going to be acquired by someone in the process? Perhaps even Google. Perhaps, uh, yeah. So the problem I have with this industry is I see no reason for loyalty. You know, I mean, ultimately consumers are just looking for a deal. I don't care if I get it from Groupon, Amazon, Google, wherever. I just want a deal. Yep. So from that perspective, I do think it's really it's you know they have a long road ahead uh, to try to to try to pull that off. And I also have to believe that the folks at Living Social, as much cash as they're hemorrhaging, I, I have to believe they're sitting here paying very close attention to what Groupon's doing because even though the rumors of of a Living Social IPO have been quashed for now. That's still possible down the road, and they're going to probably try to learn some lessons from this. Bottom line, though, is I, I, this is a really tough business to get in, and I think that the companies that have the scale, a la Amazon and Google, are going to be the ones that ultimately win the share from the consumers. Now, if you look at Groupon, for example, and I, I, the reason why the stock is getting hammered today is because it was richly priced to begin with, and it's still richly priced. And so if we think about just going back to Google's offer for uh, Groupon, I don't know, was it a year ago or something like so that? Yeah, it was about... Fifteen months ago, the the six widely reported six billion dollar offer. Right. Is that yeah? Google offered six billion. Groupon's now valued after today's sell off at about fifteen and a half billion dollars. So if you take today's market cap and the amount of uh, shares that are outstanding, so basically Google was offering a price for about nine dollars and fifty cents a share. And, you know, Groupon's selling for more than twice that now. So that tells me, number one, Google knew that they had a limit they were going to pay for this. Yep. They're not going to try to chase this deal because they realize that on its own, it's and not necessarily... And they chase deals. Yeah, they do. You're yeah. right. They're pretty, they're pretty heavy acquirers. I mean, they, when they get their sights set on something, they're going to get it. But I think they even knew that really this business was only so lucrative and there was a price that they weren't going to pay. And I think that, you know, going forward, we're probably going to see Groupon shareholders paying a price. Joe, you agree with that? If they could go back in time, would they be looking to take that $6 billion? Or you think Andrew Mason, the CEO, is, is happy where uh, Groupon is right now? You know, he's probably having a pretty tough day. But I think overall, they're still feeling good about the decision. I think ultimately, they'll wish that they'd sold for that $6 billion. I mean, it's a nice price tag for a business with no tangible assets and intense competition and no moat. <laughs> Shares of Visa up today. Uh, first quarter profit up 16%. The company also announced it's putting $500 million towards share buybacks. Joe, 
What do you make of Visa's quarter? Well, as a Visa shareholder, I was very happy with it. <laughs> uh, yet again, they have grown earnings at a faster clip than revenue. And the reason is that it's a highly scalable business. I think you're going to see that trend continuing for a long time. For the financials they put out, it's been five straight years of growing operating margins. Seen a similar story at MasterCard. I mean, all in all, you saw 13% total dollar payment volume, which is very strong. And I think that this is a business a lot of people had kind of given up on eight months ago because there was a lot of confusion about what debit card legislation could mean for them. Well, it turns out it was overrated. And now investors are piling back into the stock, realizing that these changes weren't a deal breaker with the stock at all, and that it's got a lot of room to run. Anything surprising in the earnings, or you're just you're just giddy with how it's all going? Honestly, I wasn't surprised with how strong the results were, given you know just the series of quarters they've had, and I would expect it to keep going. I don't think the stock is terribly cheap right now. I own it's a large position for me, and I'll plan on holding it for a long time because I think it's great business. But I'm not jumping up and down adding right now. Jason, we've talked before about the payment industry writ large on yesterday's. Market Fullery, we talked about Western Union and, and the role that it plays in the, in the world of payment. Um, but obviously, Visa is competing very directly with other credit card companies like MasterCard, Discover, Capital One. Um, but there's also the world of mobile payment. Um, we've talked uh, in here before about PayPal uh, and uh, even just the notion that, uh, as we were saying before the taping, um, people will just go into a Starbucks with their, you know, with their iPhone and they've got an, an app and all of a sudden their, their iPhone becomes a wallet. Um, all of that being said, where do you think Visa is focusing its attention um, is it on the traditional competitors like MasterCard and American Express? Um, or if you're at Visa, are you also trying to focus on mobile payment as well? I, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I think they certainly are still focused on the main competitors in MasterCard and American Express and, and companies like that. I mean, we're seeing uh, talk of the, the cards being you know sort of advanced to that chip instead of a magnetic stripe on the back. And I think that's something that's already used internationally speaking. But you know, they do have to keep an eye on the mobile payment segment because that is something that is progressing. But just like we're in the very, very early innings of e-commerce, we're still in the very, very early innings of mobile payments and things like that, of mobile just in general. As as quickly as it seems to advance for us, think about how it's going to look 20 years from now, 30 years from now. So, yes, they have to pay attention to it, but I don't think it's something that they're necessarily worried about at this point. Right. They've made some good tuck-in acquisitions on this, and I think that this year you're going to see them roll out some better, broader offerings for mobile and I wouldn't underestimate them. Now, I also, you know, I own shares of eBay basically on the PayPal thesis. I'm a big believer in that. Mm-hmm. But this is a space where you can have a lot more than one winner. Now, you look at Amex, Discover, Visa, MasterCard, they have all destroyed the market. And it's because it's a big, growing market where there aren't a lot of players. It's a cash-rich, high-margin business. And I think that when you look at Visa, with the shortcomings that they maybe have on mobile, they'll be able to buy their way into it. And another thing I wouldn't forget is that they have a huge installed base of relationships and customer accounts. So it's not like they're starting from scratch where you're going to go out and try and develop these. They've already got it. So ultimately, I'm not too concerned about it. I mean, I think the bigger threat is really MasterCard, both on the credit and debit side, but also because MasterCard is the preferred partner of choice for like Google, for example, Google Wallet. They went with MasterCard because they're the number two player. 
they don't want to buddy up with Visa because they're the biggest guy in the room and they can muscle better terms. But MasterCard's a lot more willing to experiment because they're scrappy and trying to move up. Uh, I would be remiss if we didn't wrap up this conversation um, with a tip for anyone listening to get rid of credit card debt because certainly anyone who's been to uh, the fool.com website has probably run into uh, an article or two from uh, Diana Yoakum, our personal finance expert, or, or uh, Robert Brokamp, our retirement expert, on just that basic consumer finance. Jason, I'll start with you. One tip for getting rid of credit card debt. I don't know how much people are going to like this, but I just say get an American Express card and adhere to the guidelines of paying it off every month because if you don't, they'll rake you over the coals. Yeah, because they're they're not they're not willing to let you just roll over your balance they, every yeah, month. When you roll it over, it's it just kills you. So you 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 need to pay that off every month. I think just you know live within your means, Joe. Uh, I'm a big believer in the saying, what gets measured gets fixed. Mm-hmm. And when you actually start tracking your expenses, you'll start getting a feel for where you're actually putting your money. And if it's you know, restaurants and happy hours, then there's probably some room to cut back. And I would just say you could use a service like Mint, for example, mint.com, which does a great job of taking – you put in your financial accounts and it basically aggregates it all and takes it into a certain – you know, spaces and the ways you're spending your money. It's a great tool, helps you track it. It's free. Check it out. All right. Joe Meager, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Check out Motley Fool Money this weekend. Our guest is Adam Lashinsky from Fortune Magazine. His new book is Inside Apple, How America's Most Admired and Secretive Company Really Works. That's Motley Fool Money on iTunes and on radio stations across America. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. That's a little personal finance advice tip from Uncle Joe, who just <laughs> dropped $21 on a pound of sea bass. <laughs> and don't get it started on the cherries. You should have called that. You should have called that.